Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. So Becca, I have a moral question for you. I'm so good at these. If Xander and I were forced to fight 18th century garbed lasagna-faced Urukai, <laughs> and you could save our lives, because it was very high potential that we were probably going to die in this altercation. After all, they have phaser rifles. And you could interfere in this situation, but it would mean that the meme Becca Cheats returns. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wait. Would you do it? <laughs> Okay, so I was coming along on that whole journey and totally down as I was screaming at Riker, give up your stupid word, it doesn't matter, save this child. Uh, and then you brought in the Becca Chief thing, and I hate that. It's like so when somebody calls Marty from Back to the Future chicken. <laughs> It makes me do irrational things. You know, I, uh, I would sacrifice so myself for that. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> what will you do for, for near godhood, right? <laughs> that's the question of this episode, which is hide and cue. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. Did you guys like it? What'd you think? It had its moments. This was much scarier as the horror film Hide and Seek about the girl who marries into a board game fortune um it's just this new movie that's out uh where (laughs) it's basically like get out except (gasps) the main character is a white girl and the enemy is rich people uh she's wearing a wedding dress and running from people trying to kill her anyway (laughs) this has the elements of being a real horror it reminded me of that premise of like we're gonna play anyway they, they didn't really hide uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this establishes the format of a Q episode. So we saw in Farpoint, like, sort of what what the Q can do and sort of what their sort of deal is. And now this is just continuing that, oh, this could happen at any point except for the wager that was made at the end. Will they hold up their end of the bargain? Will they not? Who knows? Yeah, it's so interesting to learn more about what is called the Q Continuum. Yeah. He calls it a limitless dimension of the galaxy. And then uh, I didn't realize until it happened that this was a recruitment mission. Mm-hmm. This is trying to make Riker, you know, part of their Borg, as it were. Do you think that Q was telling the truth about that, though? That, like, they were actually looking to recruit him so much as, like, was Q kind of playing with him to give him the power just to experiment to see what he would do? Oh, could it have been a test where he'd take backsies? Mm. Or just another one of his many games, you know? Yeah. My interpretation was that Q is incredibly lonely, mm-hmm. and uh, he wants to be able to give a gift to have his own personal fulfillment of, see, it is good to be part of Q because Riker did it, and I respect Riker. I'm obsessed with Riker for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, well, even taking a step back in the meta a little bit and looking at Q as a plot device character, this is a great time to uh, sort of establish what principles these characters will stand behind and what lines they'll cross uh, when their sort of moral compasses come into play. Uh, and and it's really interesting on that, like, if these characters got everything that they wanted, like Godhood or various gifts like um, Wizard of Oz style, we realize that it's the journey, not the destination. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. good way to put that. 
Yeah, even Q says it. He nails it on the head with the Hamlet quote, which right. is the play is the thing, right? Right, right. Um, I liked a lot of the writing of this episode. It, it felt like they what was a really cool concept they kind of jammed in the last 20 minutes, which is essentially giving Riker the godhood and seeing what he what choices he would make mm-hmm. with it. I feel like we only got really to see that in the last you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes or so. Everything else was this weird game that didn't really have much of a conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of fun costume work. They're really hinting at that A plot, B plot type of thing that Star Trek eventually gets to, but they're still struggling at this moment. Yeah, I really wasn't into the first part of the episode until it really hooked me in the fifth act when Riker has to make these really, really difficult decisions <laughs> and you, you see everybody have to deal with the opportunity of being given their ultimate dream. But let's, should we start at the beginning yeah. and talk more yeah, about we should. that? So, so uh, the Enterprise is on their way to help some mining colony that has uh, undergone like an explosion or an accident of some <laughs> sort. And the curtain of uh, Tetris shapes uh, <laughs> comes over the Enterprise once again. And Q shows up. And uh, I'm pretty sure, does he even make a declaration in that first um, teaser? Does he, or does he just appear in the Admiral's uniform? Well, he uh, uh, he shows up as like his uh, entity form and then was like, oh, you're... Oh, right, you're, the, 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 the Cobra yeah, globe yeah. thing, the, right? Like, your feeble oh mind my God. cannot handle this Windows screensaver. I'll go into my <laughs> Admiral uniform. <laughs> yeah. So I actually have what that thing is. I looked oh. it up on the encyclopedia. Um it's called an Alderbaran serpent, which I think he calls himself that in the um, in the episode. Uh, in the final draft, which was written in eighty seven, Q first appears quote as a rapidly rotating, blindingly brilliant diamond blue light, and only later assumes the Alderbaran serpent, which describes as a quote writhing snake with snapping fangs, an instant away from fanging the bridge crew. Wow. Who knew? (laughs) I feel like so many things are so much scarier on the page than when they're enacted. Like when he first teleports half of our bridge crew and they were like, you know what's a good alien background for this guy? (laughs) Just a green screen. Let's not put anything on it because people don't know it in 1987 that a green screen is exactly this chroma key color. But now we do. (laughs) Right. Uh, The things they could get away with. (laughs) Right. You know, Riker was doing something posture-wise that I'd never seen him do, and he he did it before, before he even became Q. Mm-hmm. Um, he was crossing his yeah. arms very like haughtily, and I don't think I ever see him will ever see him really do it like that again. His uh, Riker or Frank's uh, Jonathan Frank's stance is very you know wide. Uh, he he stands up at attention. He lets he lets his presence kind of do the talking for yeah. him. And the crossed arms felt very uh, closed <laughs> to me or self-conscious, and it was a weird. A weird look for him in this episode. I, I remember him doing it more after he achieved his godlike state mm-hmm. to sort of say, I am above you now and mm-hmm. I understand things you don't. And I wrote, it looks like a little kid that caught a bug. Yeah. Yeah. He's so proud of himself. He looks somehow smaller in that The way. thing is, yeah, it totally. kind of looks like an acting exercise of like someone saying, okay, there's this character. What would this character look like if they suddenly achieved godhood? How would they stand? How would they do this? And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, like this, you know? Yeah, uh, but much of this episode feels like that very stage theatrical. Yeah, right? yeah, and I think that they kind of get away with it because they have all the Shakespeare quotes. You know, they kind of yeah. set this up to be a play, and it's a game, and and that theatricality kind of bleeds through, which I thought was really cool. Um, one of the things that I didn't like uh, right in the beginning when we're, we're thrown into this game with the cue and things like that is Tasha Yar is yet again put in a damsel in distress position, and it oh, it drives me nuts. 
and reacts with some real over-the-top melodramatic yeah. performance, in my opinion. I did mm -hmm. not like her penalty box performance. No. I can't, I can't do it. I just always get put here. Yeah. You're sexy, Captain. Well, they didn't even really give her anything to do. No. She just was kind of teleported off the first one, and then that was it. <laughs> and there was a very telling thing uh, in the opening scene on the bridge when Q first comes on board as the snake thing, and a wharf right? leaps over. over the banister uh, right in front of Tasha Yar. It's like, oh, somebody's challenging your place in security. Right, because Tasha is the head of security. She should have been the one leaping over the banner banister. and, and uh. I, was th I actually instincts. was thinking that he was trying to protect the captain, but the, but the blocking of the actual um, bridge didn't allow them to show yeah. that. I thought it was a weird choice anyway because he didn't need to get closer. He has a ranged weapon. So really, flanking the snake thing would be a great thing. You should go over by the turbo lift. <sighs> there are just a lot of issues. Uh, <laughs> um, and then Q, of course, repeats over and over that at Farpoint, he took an interest in Riker. They're trying to like fabricate. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's totally yeah, fake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, people can't just go back and on demand watch these episodes, so no one will know if we say Q was super into Riker the whole time. Right, right. They must be misremembering it. <laughs> They'll catch it on some re or, uh, like rerun or something, but by then it yeah. won't matter. Oh, I must have forgot that. Weird. Okay. Yeah, he must have been interested in Riker then. I will say, though, that I like that he picked someone else to pick on than Picard, mm -hmm. even though he still picks on Picard in this episode. I, I really did love the banter about uh, where he mocked him for seizing my vessel. You seized my vessel. Is that all you could say? Right, right, right. Uh, but it, it makes sense to set up Picard to be the one who's wise and right, and you need this sort of playboy that's interested in the shiny things mm -hmm. to come <laughs> along and, and be tempted by godhood. Yeah. So they, they, when the game's afoot, they come down to this Class M planet, and then there that's when Tasha is sent to, yeah. And now you know what Class M a, is, and you're using the I lingo. I sure do, <laughs> using the lingo, because Data said it. Yeah. So you'll tell me something, and then I'll hear it in the show right? later. See, that's what and makes like, the- oh, Xander told me all about that. <laughs> I think that's what makes the techno babble fun, is because the writers also like catch on to that, like, oh, people are paying attention, so they can do little plot things that, if you're following the techno babble, you can kind of, think about it and solve the puzzle ahead of time as well. Well, this is probably the phase of Star Trek where people were really paying attention, right? Yeah. So that's when the writers and the crew probably got all of the letters from yep. the... Yeah, from all the fans who wanted to tell them everything they were doing both right and wrong. Oh, yeah. from the original fans? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah or new sure. ones, too. Yep. Um, so, so I watched the... 30th, 30 year reunion oh, right. of the cast. Uh, there's a video on YouTube. And uh, there was a really fun bit where Brett Spiner, Data, and uh, Michael Dorn, mm -hmm. Worf, see, I'm remembering actors. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, in this one time, they loved fucking with Patrick Stewart yes. when he was directing. Yep. And it's so fun because they were talking about a bar scene where they would come in and they were looking for some guy, and the guy was like right there. They <laughs> didn't need to ask the bartender where this guy was, but they had to do this because it was in the script. And so they thought it was so silly that they just decided to uh, really mess with the director by coming in every time and doing a different type of accent. Like, <laughs> okay, now let's do a German. Now let's do it super Polish or, or whatever. And so oh I, I thought of that because someone in the audience was like, do you have that often where you must play something that intellectually you know isn't true? And they were like, yeah, that's acting. The only difference is we decided <laughs> to fuck with Patrick Stewart this time. <laughs> uh, and then I thought of it because there's the whole Napoleonic tent. Yeah. And then when they're transported, they're wandering around. They don't know where they are. And then Tasha goes, 
there, there. sir. And yeah. it's like, there's a whole tent with Q sitting in it in this ridiculous outfit. And of course they would have seen it. Right. I feel like they needed a reveal and they didn't have it in the time or the budget to do anything. So they just did a pan over situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I haven't put this together before, but those are definitely, they look like Tellarites, which is definitely a species that um, we hadn't seen in, in Next Generation. But in original series, we did. They were sort of um, these pig-masked uh, aliens. And you'll see later on Tellarites come back into play, but they were definitely like those Tellarite masks uh, with Napoleonic uh, garb. And I was like, oh! Named after the Colorado Film Festival? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tellaride. Uh, Jake called them lasagna faces. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Well, I, I don't know if they are an established, like, canon alien of any sort, if they were just kind of generic No, ones. I think it's, un it's unclear to me. They were supposed to be vicious animal things, but they definitely reused masks from original series or something very similar to what the oh, Tellarites yeah. were. Yeah, well, the whole thing felt like an original series yeah. in terms of, like, it was one of those sets that are out that's supposed to be outdoors but clearly feels like a big stage. Yep. Uh, the lighting of everything felt that way as well. And, of course, the, the, the concept of a person getting god powers right. it happens a few times in the original series yep. as i recall right yeah it's all that question of morality it's it's a, a favorite mm -hmm. sort of moral question so there's an interesting thing that happens to picard when the rest of his crew is beamed down and we find out later that q just stopped time on the ship uh but picard is sort of in this loneliness box where <laughs> he can't communicate with anyone else on the ship everybody he knows is just beamed out and he stays pretty cool and collected, which tells me something about his character, that I would be freaking out and screaming and running in circles, even if I was left alone like that for five minutes, but... Uh, now, you said fine. it was interesting. Um, what was interesting about it? Uh, okay, so not the scene, not the execution production-wise, mm -hmm. just the idea of what do we learn about this character when they're in this situation where they're utterly helpless, and he was like, hmm, I can't even make a captain's log. Maybe I get some tea. <laughs> but that's my point. Is like th that that scene served almost no purpose. Like there wasn't really anything for him to do until Tasha showed up and they talked. And then didn't Q just immediately let her out of the penalty box? He's like, I'm bored. Yeah. And like I, just as we were all bored with that scene, we were just waiting for this pro plot to move on. I thought she bit. was gonna actually die this episode because I know uh -huh. because you know you guys were hinting at some stuff and then <laughs> I saw spoilers where she's she's not gonna be around forever what? i know it's what upsetting that and i thought this was it because i know that it's going to be unceremonious too because she was like write me off the show uh which is crazy and i'm sure she has come to terms with and tells herself she doesn't regret it but you know she regrets it. um real quick before we move on i did i disagree with you jake a little bit because i i'm so glad you brought this up becca i think that this really highlights one of the character points of picard in that it highlights his patience Starting from now and a little bit before, but from now on, one of the things that Picard has that no other captain had really had before is this like infinite patience. It gets tested time and time again, whether he's being tortured or whether he's being trapped to live out his full life, like in some alternate dimension. He comes back and resumes as if nothing has happened because he has this infinite patience and that's Picard's superpower. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Jake, I think why it stood out to me is because I have zero of that. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, I was amazed at just yeah. the short scene that meant nothing to a lot of people. 
<laughs> that know? sounds right to me. Yeah. I think that's a theory we should carry on through the series and see how that holds up. That's great. That's good to know. Yeah. I like that for him. You're right, because, I mean, Kirk was an impulsive guy, right? right? I mean, it was, didn't mean he wasn't tactical, but right. he was definitely, like, the action man. Yeah, yeah. And, I love that. Um, and not only that, uh, Picard has learned since their last encounter with Q to expect things to be out of whack and totally out of the the ordinary and so when he's left alone on the bridge he just goes along with it like well i just got to wait this through and find out what the challenge is and and rise to it because he's confident that he will yeah i guess the trap as a writer is to say uh oh he's gonna freak out obviously Mm -hmm. um but we as the audience know q is gonna do this type of stuff so for the character to not know then we get ahead of the character and that's never good writing right that's exactly right And so Q gives Riker this power, and he lets him cheat at the game, which, of course, uh, uh, Q says that fairness is such a human concept, which I really loved. I loved that idea. He's like, this will be completely unfair. Yeah. (laughs) That's just the way she's Just owning up to it. (laughs) Yeah. And I I really actually appreciated that. I was like, oh, yeah, it is a human concept. We're always looking for the balance of things. Right. And balance is in our perception and how we want to view it. And so if Riker's given the power to just uh, not worry about balance, how is he going to handle it? I like that, uh, the dilemma. I'm sad it comes 35 minutes into the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, I uh, I remember as a kid moments from this episode, especially Wesley getting stabbed with a bayonet. It was that brutal. Was intense, as I remember. Yeah. yeah. Right in the back. It, as you're mentioning, these things happen in such quick succession because mm-hmm. – Two of his crewmates die. He immediately brings them back to life. And then he makes a promise that he won't use this power anymore. And that's huge. I mean, yeah, yeah. I disagree with the use of it, quite honestly. <laughs> huge choices made in about 90 seconds. Right. Yeah. Well, and then I wrote down in my notes as I was watching this, why is Wesley there? And I, I thought about it afterwards. Like, I could see them retroactively trying to jam him in because of the wish granting at the end to play with that mechanic. But he, it just seemed so out of nowhere and so brutal to to do something like that but it goes to show i guess riker's commitment to saving one kid quote unquote over another kid that's unfamiliar which we'll get to in a bit well i well i mean we can talk about so riker has these powers right and he comes to the comes back to the enterprise and everything is i guess kind of fine for (laughs) a moment well they kind of had just put on hold saving 500 people and when they get there there's only seven so way to go Riker because your decision to play Q's game killed 400 people it seems right Uh, well it's not like he had a choice was level-headedly saying no we have more impressing things Q sorry and Riker goes along so he's kind yeah. of subverting the captain's order there at the beginning. Well, Becca, as you know, a lot of games take longer than what's on the box, <laughs> so that's not entirely his fault. Mm. Uh, and Becca, I'm and, unaware. Uh, Q did invite him to that game, so like Q as the host probably should have set him up for an appropriate amount of time. Yeah, well, you always take the time on the box and you times it by three. Well, he also didn't take his turn very often. He kept <laughs> stalling and talking about things, and they were yeah. bullshitting with quotes and stuff, Wait, and arguing what? over rules. I, I mean, there was know. so much rules arguing. And well, they didn't maybe he just to needed time to think about what the best optimal move was. So I mean, like, two I turns so. in before Riker flipped the table, and the game was over. Are we still talking about Star Trek? <laughs> we somehow are, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So Riker can't say, or Riker chooses not to save the little girl um, Mm -hmm. in the mining uh, colony. And we come to this head of like, okay, what are we going to do about Riker's situation? Data Flat calls him out and says, sir, if you have the power of the cue, 
Right. You could do something. Before about. Uh, before we move into that, uh, they they beam down, and then uh, Jordy's like sort of helping shovel these rocks out, and Data comes over and grabs the boulders and starts throwing them. Right. I I wrote down. Remember, Data is very strong. Remember when he was foiled by a Chinese finger trap? Just wanted to bring that back up. Okay, continue. I would love it if Data was pulling up those boulders and then suddenly his fingers came up with the finger trap on them. He's like, oh, sir, no. I need assistance. Yeah. Well, to talk a little bit more about the promise, his word that he gave, mm. basically it was Picard who said, are you strong enough to refuse this power, was his wording. So as we open the episode with, it is sort of a game of chicken. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want, he wants to be called strong emotionally and uh, philosophically. And I think that, uh, I mean, after watching Star Trek, you start to sort of hope that there's an alternative plan with the captain and the first officer going on, that they're like putting on airs to trick the enemy and there's gonna be a big reveal at the end. And this was sort of Picard's way of planting the seeds of victory within Riker because they're like here's the tool that you need to succeed in this in that don't use these powers that's what the test is and it was a way of letting Riker know without flat out saying something of like I forbid you to use this because that doesn't teach anything (laughs) that's true I like how confident Picard is with it too he's like Riker's got this yeah I have no worries whatsoever I wrote, this is when you break your goddamn word, Riker, because it really pulled at my heartstrings to see this little girl that they cast. She was so adorable, (laughs) and Crusher just says she's dead, and this is heavier than they've gone in a lot of episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, there's the moments when uh, they lost power on the ship in an earlier episode, and they're like, oh, all of our crew is going to freeze to death unless we run out of food first. Uh, (laughs) And those moments when they really give the situation gravity, Mm -hmm. it feels out of place for the sitcom of the time, and also makes it more like a show of today. So you're saying there's no gravity to me and Xander being killed or bayoneted by lasagna-faced Urukai because it, it's all you made si- the choice so quickly. <laughs> it's all simulated gravity anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he becomes just a power-mongering son of a bitch. Right. Yeah, he can call a conference without the captain's permission, and he walks off like total... Uh, number one of Beverly Hills kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then... Once again, the captain showing his patience. Right, there it is. True, there it is. Good point. Has has it happened yet? Somewhere in there, uh, Picard gives a sort of speech and calls Q a flim-flam man, and I just wrote down Worf saying, flim-flam? Flim-flam man? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then I wrote down, Q loves his costumes, and then Picard immediately says, Q, what, why do you love your costumes? And the, the harshest line that you can say is, do you not have an identity of your own? Yes. Really got under, I I imagine got under Q's skin because it was so on point. It is. And I think that's what Q is jealous of in humanity because Q is part of a collective. They don't have individuality. This Q, this representation that we're seeing is an outlier within the collective itself. And they'll go into that uh, further in the future too, but well spotted back So that was actually something that I kind of had a question about because when they were on the planet's surface, Q told Riker that what he finds interesting about them is their, was it the capacity for growth or mm-hmm. for their yearning to, to learn more, right? Something along but, those lines, yeah. Something along those lines. But then isn't Q, by showing an interest and in experimentation in the human race, like kind of exhibiting the same pattern? Well, I do say that is a very interesting observation, Jake. Maybe we should keep <laughs> that in mind. We should get a podcast, Jake. For the future. <laughs> I'll, I'll start a podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. And I think that's what makes this representation of the collective, uh, namely John Delancey, keeps coming back. 
Yeah. Maybe he is a flim flam man. We never know. He's definitely a flim flam. Xander, I like that you called it the Wizard of Oz scene. Yeah. That's where we are now. So Wesley gets to be a man. Right. Oh my a gosh, 20-something man. Ever. What a man. And <laughs> watching this, I definitely think they used Will Wheaton's voice pitched down in ADR. They did. I, I wrote down, wow, this actor has a really similar, oh my God, that's ADR. They yeah, did that's stuff. Definitely ADR. Uh, uh, Data wants to become human, of course, but turns it down to thine own self be true and with Ugh. the Shakespeare motif back again. So that's yeah, that that. legitimately this watch through. That's when I started crying uh, because it, it was not only I love the choices that they made of uh, we saw uh, la- earlier. We saw John Delancey in the data makeup of uh, of him simulating sort of what data would look like. And they never show Brent Spiner in like human makeup because that's like the line that data won't cross. And I love that they respect that uh, and sort of it, it was just beautiful to me. I was a little worried when he, he took uh, Data's position before. It was like, is Data just floating in ether? Is he existing in nothingness right now? Yeah. And then Riker teleports him back to the bridge after he brings Worf and Wesley back to life. So that was an interesting, I want to hear Data say where he was in that two minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then uh, earlier, I just wanted to talk about their little Shakespeare off. Like those mm-hmm. two actors were mm-hmm. dying for it. You know, <laughs> they read the script and they were like, "Yes, this is this is exactly what I do." And then they went and they reread their tomes and like rehearsed their favorite soliloquies just for fun. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Stewart is the kind of actor that has huge chunks of those plays memorized. In right. fact, he actually is a performer who does the Christmas Carol on his own by heart. Right. He actually performs it without a script, the entire thing. I can only do that for Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> a fun little uh, backstory for me. I was One of my favorite pr- productions that I was ever, ever a part of was a full production of the musical Hair. And one of the solos is the soliloquy, What a Piece of Work is Man. Uh, but it's sung. And so I have that still memorized. And as soon as he started saying that, I, I could oh. say it along with him. And I was like, oh, what a cool feeling. <laughs> um, I'm going to need you to record that. And yeah. that's going to go on our Patreon page. <laughs> oh, God. OK. <laughs> <laughs> So Rikers uh, can give everybody what they want, including Jordy's uh, vision. And this is the first time we see um, Jordy without his visor and with his with those beautiful brown eyes. That's when LeVar Burton booked Reading Rainbow. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Booked my heart. Yeah. That was uh, that was a very those were such a heavy like concepts that they dipped in on like what was essentially the last five to six minutes of the whole episode. Yeah. And I really kind of wanted to see that struggle just a bit more mm-hmm. uh, because Jordy being given vision the way he had it seemed very powerful to him and he's just like eh, I don't like who's given it to me. Well not only that they showed earlier in the episode that even Data was impressed by Jordy's visual acuity with the visor of like oh mm-hmm. they're on the third ridge like the third you can see that far? And oh, yeah, freckles, okay. I could see him. I thought that's, I was wondering, I was like, why is he so shocked about the third ridge? And I get it now. It was a distance thing. Yeah, because his visor could uh. see further than even Data's ocular, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, very cool. I mean, why Data doesn't get an upgrade to visor status, <laughs> not sure. Uh, a couple of things. Well, Jordy uh, turning down sight because he didn't like the way he got it was so beautiful. Uh, I it, it, it broke my heart. Um, there was still a little moment it. of yucky, though. <laughs> yeah, and the moment of yucky was uh, him saying to Yar yeah. that you're so beautiful. And Xander, as you have brought up in previous episodes, that Yar is a very queer-coded character, mm-hmm. and we want her to be that. And and 
Uh, I was also upset earlier in the episode when she has this moment with the captain. Yep. Captain makes a joke that it's okay to cry on the bridge, and she goes, "Oh, oh if only with captain. the captain." Yuck! Yeah, that's yuck! Such a yuck! Weird yuck! Choice. Moments of not, yuck. <laughs> not what we ship, you know. Not Mm-mm. shipping it. Nope. It feels like there's uh, a bunch of writers doing doing different things, and the yes. ones that are keyed into it, you'll see in those episodes, and the others who aren't keyed into it don't even treat her like an individual. They just treat them as other women on the ship, and they're like, okay, we'll we'll use them for this purpose. Ah, uh, women on the bridge. She must be fuckable. Right. <sighs> you can see this influence of these older writers of like, well, any red-blooded man on the bridge would compliment this woman on her looks. It's just what men do. <laughs> and it's like, no, not if you're not an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that writer definitely had a cigar in his mouth. Well, uh, speaking of like creepy moments, though, we haven't oh, even gosh. talked about Klingon foreplay. Right. Well, and that I'm Holy into. Good uh, God. No, just kidding. Uh, even though he punches her in the face, so yeah. Worf gets a sexy Klingon woman teleported in. Right. Yeah, and like his objection is that he like just doesn't want to be a part of that world anymore. Uh, Does like, this I woman feel... exist? Does she have a soul? Oh God. She, uh, There's a lot like, there to unpack. <laughs> or was she a construct? I don't know. Yeah, and that's what what actual power does a Q have? Does it have the power to create sentient life, or does it just create constructs or what they think a, a, a Klingon woman would be like? Because uh, all of that would have had to come from somewhere. It would have been from Riker's preconceptions. Um, it's interesting that this is the first time that we sort of get to see that because they've they've hinted at the Klingon sort of na- mating practices before, but now we sort of see it in action, and it's a lot. Like it's it's a lot of violence, uh, especially you know just towards a woman, which is a little hard to take in at sometimes. Yeah, I needed to see Worf's eye get gouged out and him to be super turned on by that. Right, like, right. <laughs> just bite off a chunk of his face. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was upsetting. It reminded me of Capoeira fight, fight dancing, though, which Kinda. is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't like that Q calls Worf a microbrain right. because he's uh, one of two black actors on the in the bridge crew. And uh, I don't know, it, it feels uncomfortable to me. I felt macro head was a better insult and microbrain was like too much. Yeah. Like you, you didn't need to tag it. As the, the, the first part was better. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Totally. Macro head works. Yeah. Um, I, I feel for Riker in this situation, too, because there's this moment of he really wants to use this absolute power to do good. Mm-hmm. And gift giving is hard, and he's a pretty good gift giver, let me just say. Yeah, uh, very and it, thoughtful. It's, sort of, it's teaching this lesson that the equity of power and equity of suffering is what makes us human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so good. Well, I wrote down really good notes, so what can I say? <laughs> yeah, that's the, the core concept of, of Starfleet, of what they're doing out here in space, in that you don't need currency to do jobs because people are just doing what they're passionate about. Uh, and so they're following their passions out here, and this just happens to be in the stars. So it's sort of the philosophy that this new humanity has taken. And with that, the, the sort of hope, the idealism in the episode is that you won't need absolute power because everything you have is is good enough you know we have these sort of accommodations with the visor or with uh not being quite human or not growing up fast enough but you don't need to because these this version of humanity or whatever it is is enlightened enough to recognize that uh and that's sort of the didactic lesson that they were trying to teach with the episode in teaching Riker that well and the play is the thing right yeah so it's the journey 
as much as the destination. A hundred percent. Um, so Riker makes what I guess we all have to agree is the correct choice. <laughs> I guess. And, uh, I guess Q's gonna get in trouble, right? He's got some splaining to do, as Picard says. Yeah. Because the continuum rumbles about him, and and he screams and is disappeared, right? So we won't we we don't see him for a little while. It it's it was presumptuous of Picard because who's to say that there was a consequence in the land of Q Q continuum? Uh, but it, it was the right choice. And damn, Picard is a wise wise man. I always listen to him. I guess is the answer here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what did you guys think of this episode? How many uh, can, how many cues would you give this? <laughs> I'm going to give it 6 out of 10 because I love the core concept they get to mm-hmm. of the dream granting power and what that consequence means of god godhood but they as you said Jake it takes way too long to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pretty 100%. Slow parts. I would give it a whole continuum. Uh that could be a whole lot or not any at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think it had great moments and I think we got to see some great character definition especially like if um, the characters were granted everything that they wanted in their sort of arc that it wouldn't be satisfying. And I think that's what the writers were struggling because everybody in this utopia has everything that they need. Why would they continue to move forward and push themselves? Now we see why. This is them getting their answer of we need to see this journey that they all want to go on. So I think that in itself is a great concept, but the framework to get there, it's its a long road. <laughs> yeah, I'll give this one four out of seven cues, and I reserve uh, the right to go back in time and change sure. my answer because I have that power. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we have a fun one. It's called Haven. Mm-hmm. and it, The description is, tensions mount as, as Counselor Troy's arranged marriage nears. And a plague ship approaches the planet. Gong! Dun dun dun. dun. Oh, gong. Wait. Good call on that gong. Good gong. <laughs> well, just remember to stay engaged. 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 Betrothed. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, like Troy. <laughs> 